You are listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. Welcome to the Moisture Festival podcast. I am Matt Baker. I perform a comedy and stunt show. And I'm Louis Fox. I do uh, magic tricks, comedy, and hand shadow puppets. <laughs> and we both have performed at the Moisture Festival for a number of years. So welcome to the podcast where we give you a peek behind the curtains of the performers and the people that make the Moisture Festival happen. You get a little, little bit of a look at their journey to getting on stage and a little bit about what they do in their time off stage. So welcome and be sure to check out all the episodes of the Moisture Festival podcast because there's a lot. There is a lot. And if you aren't familiar with the Moisture Festival, it's a four-week festival celebrating variety arts. So that's hula hoopers, magicians, people who bounce on their hands, acrobats, pretty much anything you can think of. It is the largest festival of its kind in the entire world, folks. In the entire world, it's the largest festival, and it features some of the best entertainers and comedians working today. The festival happens in the months of March and April, and not only do they have world-class variety acts, but they have a burlesque venue that runs for one week only, and get your tickets for that early because that always sells out actually 95 percent we've crunched the data louis yes 95 percent of the shows sell out so if you're listening to this in the months of march and april be sure to go to moisturefestival.org and get your tickets today yes especially if your bucket list item is to see the opening show get them now absolutely on today's Moisture Festival podcast, we are joined on location in Berkeley, California by Swami Biandananda. That's right. We have Steve, <laughs> or as some people call him Steve. <laughs> he is chats with us about ghostwriting a number one selling dental book, traveling all around with his show, how he became a Swami, what that exactly means, the trials and the successes that he's had throughout his career telling jokes as the Swami and the power of positivity. This is one of my favorite interviews so far, Louis. Let's get to it. All right. All right, well, we're very excited about our guests today. We have Steve and Trudy Behrman in the studio in Berkeley. Yes. Room 318. <laughs> Thank you so much for... Uh, you want to send us coffee? <laughs> yeah, for joining us. Did the uh, person in, in the lobby give you a hard time when you showed up? Uh, uh, yeah, she did, but that's okay. We, we kind of smiled, and we, since we had no masks on, the smile was visible. Okay. <laughs> At the yeah, end, we're in with the in crowd. It's so. been a very very weird, you know, because we're, we're recording this during, you know, at the tail end of what we hope is COVID, but um, it's with a mask, it's hard to sort of <laughs> smile, like you don't know if people are smiling or they're grimacing or they're, you know. I, I know, it's, it's been really very weird and people are very happy here uh, as I go hiking 
to be walking around without without masks. Ah. So, w- can you tell our listeners uh, what you do? What you guys? What your performance is? Well, actually, uh, I performed uh, at the uh, at the Moisture Fest. I think it was three years ago. I think it was 2017, 2018, I think it was. And I do a uh, comedy character called Swami Beyond Ananda, the yogi from Muskogee. And uh, <laughs> the Swami, uh, if you have an answerable question, the Swami will have a questionable answer for you. <laughs> and so uh, I so enjoyed, and Trudy as well, we both so enjoyed being at the Moisture Festival. Yeah. And we said, what is it? What is it about it? And we realized it's vaudeville. Yeah. It's yep. vaudeville. The reason I knew it was vaudeville and not comedy clubs is that everybody liked each other and everybody got everybody supported one another in in their act and everybody cheered one another yeah. it was really genuine it felt like a a family community so it was really an education for us and did you do the swami beyond ananda character at comedy clubs oh absolutely yeah yeah i did uh uh yeah i think there were i don't know maybe six uh 10 minute sets that i did and uh, some of them, I think, might have involved uh, questions from the audience. Mm. Uh, I did some channeling of uh, of songs by Bobby Darren. And oh, cool! And, <laughs> cool. Yeah. How does that work? Oh well, you know, we had the most amazing musicians. We had the most amazing band leader from New York, and he learned uh, somewhere beyond the seas, which I changed to somewhere. Beyond disease, which would be very good for right now. Somewhere bodies are free. Someday we'll fly forever high and never again. Bodies failing. You know, we did yeah. that. You were way ahead. Like, uh, you, were, you were using your Swami action years yeah. ago with yeah. the song. Yeah. You know, the thing is, that that's probably true. You know, it's a time warp, you know, and uh, since to a Swami, time is an illusion anyway. What's well, a few years? Uh, <laughs> and I, I predicted it. Nobody knew what was going on then. They knew what was going to happen. But the people liked it. And I really enjoyed being around um, the great chaplain. Oh, yeah. We followed wonderful. him a number of, you know, because we got to see sitting up front his act, you know, five or six times. And each time we learned a little bit more about the act. And it just, we were so struck at how. Um, well orchestrated it was and yeah. we just kind of really enjoyed the aerialist the uh, avnar the um, the eccentric the eccentric yeah. Yeah. all of these uh, and then finding out that all of these people like the clown you interviewed yesterday she's a physicist yeah, yeah. she's a physicist yeah and so all of these people have a real voc well their real vocation which is being a performer then their avo- avocation what they actually get paid to do yeah well so i mean but a good chunk of them it is their main source of income is performing. Sure. And then you have someone like Iman who she has her degree, but yeah. she doesn't use it. Yeah, exactly. Well, she does, but you know. yeah, well, yeah, but it's, check Maybe out. Not, it's an intended use. Talk about so. not using degrees. I'll channel Roy Oberson. Your sheepskin won't be helpful anymore. It's Uber. You know, and that's what people are doing. Yeah. <laughs> Now, Trudy mentioned she's from Michigan. Or originally yeah. from Germany. Oh, Born originally from Germany. And grew up in Detroit. And how did the two of you meet? Uh, that was actually, he's from New York, from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. And, I spent uh, my deformative years in yeah. Brooklyn. <laughs> and uh, we ended up, I ended up in Plymouth, Michigan, which was a suburb of Detroit, kind of like 2.3 kids and 3.2 cars and mm-hmm. yeah. whatever. And right next to Ann Arbor. And we met at a 
at a gathering and uh, a party and uh and he kept looking at me and looking at me trying to like like he's scratching like where is she i know her what's her name and so he finally two o'clock in the morning everybody's gone pretty much he comes to me he goes what's your name and i said trixie trudy trueheart <laughs> and he goes oh that's right and i'm going whoa and I knew I hadn't used that name in uh, eight years. And he says, we met nine years ago. <laughs> and I, oh, that was right. And we pretty much from that point met and got married and hit the road. Wow. And at that point, I was 36. He was 39. Mm. First marriage for both of us. So I want to know, who yeah. is Trixie yeah, well, Trudy? Well, well, you, you sort of glossed over that part. <laughs> That was my uh, tripping name back in the day. Okay. Trixie Trudy Trueheart. Your tripping tripping name? Yeah. So like if you were high on something, you'd say... I would say, yeah, I would say... You wouldn't give your real name. Yeah. Oh, that, oh that's Trudy, smart. Yeah. I wish yeah. I knew that back yeah, exactly. then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, to me, it was the Trixie Trudy girl. Yeah. So you knew you met him on acid at some point nine years, yes. a, nine years so ago. So then what was your tripping name? <laughs> We've gone from acid to antacid. So. <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens in 30 years. <laughs> swami beyond an I was the Swami then, and, we, and she had actually read my column and so on when we met for the second time. Uh, we met uh, first time, and it was the wrong time, and we were kept away from each other for eight and a half years. And then when we met, it was the right time. Uh, I had just decided, I, I had been a, um, a professor at Wayne State University. I was teaching uh, labor history to auto workers. I got laid off from that job. The only job I could get was working for the city of Ann Arbor, doing tree work, taking down trees with Dutch elm disease. While I was there, a funny thing happened. Uh, I met Larry Kelsaw, who is a brilliant psychologist disguised as a truck driver. Ah. And he wanted to, he knew it, neurolinguistic programming and all this stuff. He wanted to disrupt the workplace. And one of the best ways to disrupt is through comedy. Because you're bringing in novelty, playfulness, you're able, like the fable jester, you're able to say things that you can't say mm -hmm. yeah. uh, when you're a straight civilian. And so we totally changed the workplace uh, through, um, through this newspaper that we did. And then I started a paper called Pathways, which was one of the first holistic publications, a monthly paper. And we knew that people took their holistic health and their spirituality very seriously. And so we knew we needed to do some comedy for that. And that's when the Swami Beyondananda character, the name flew into my head one day. Came to you. I got struck by a lightning during a brainstorm. <laughs> and, uh, and so when it came time to perform, uh, I decided to choose the Swami. You know, because it, in a way, it gives you permission to, it's a larger-than-life character. The Swami can say things that I can't get away with because mm -hmm. he's an innocent. You yeah. Know? He can say things in innocence that I get slapped. But the Swami can, can say it, even though the humor is never mean, and it's not designed to insult anybody. So anyway, so that's what we've been doing. And she was a dancer, um, self-taught dancer. And so for uh, the first 10 years of the show, uh, Trudy was part of the show. She did dance uh, in between my comedy sets. <laughs> in between while the Swami's got to reset yes. his brain. <laughs> <laughs> I started, the show started off with the Chinese ribbon dance. Mm-hmm. And it, then it went to a, a dance called Let Your Music Soar. 
in just an amazing double circle jade green skirt that came uh, just amazing and the flowingness of it and the motion was just and all the dances actually came to me the first time I went out on stage really just yeah. improv yeah just uh, and then you know it's like just total trust and like already yeah. stepping into that believe in the ability and um it was amazing, and we traveled for 35 years, and we were on the road approximately an average of 150 days out of wow. wow. Two, three-month tour here, a couple of four-month tours, one-month tours all over the country, East Coast. Where, what sort of venues are you doing shows at? Well, you know, right right now we're really enjoying not traveling, <laughs> yeah, but generally yeah. uh, it was, we've done theaters, we've done conferences, we've done... Open-minded churches and yoga centers. We've done um, festivals, Oregon Country Fair, of yep. course, the Moisture Festival. We've done uh, international venues. We've been to Norway. We've been to, to Europe. Um, done shows in Dubrovnik, Croatia. Oh, cool. You know. How does the Swami play in Croatia? Well, you know, the thing <laughs> is, you know, when you're doing an international audience, you have to come up with stuff that really can be comprehended by anyone so for my international show i came up with this amazing very very difficult metaphysical magic trick where i completely dematerialized my body and rematerialize it just like that want to see it again yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was amazing i can only do it once sorry <laughs> yeah you missed it oh, sorry oh, oh. sorry in norway we found when we were in norway we found that most people speak english everybody speaks english and so they love the Swami show. You know, again, wordplay is really difficult to translate. They got everything except yeah. for one thing. And there's a, a routine that I do where I talk about breatharianism, where people actually thrive without eating any food of, at all. And so when Swami was in the Himalayas, he actually went to a breatharian restaurant. <laughs> oh, we don't serve any food, but the atmosphere is terrific, right? <laughs> and uh, oh, I saw three guys walking by. They had clothes, but none of those like this. They were fascinating. <laughs> and one of them, uh, Swami asked his name, and you won't believe it. This, this guy not only doesn't eat food, he doesn't drink water. His name is Pierre. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Now, in Norway, they didn't get that because they don't use the word P. Uh, but everything else, all of the other jokes, they were faster than the American audience. Oh, uh, oh, I would imagine. Yeah. Yes. What's the Swami? What's the Swami? And so um, it, it's been, you know, I've done a lot of different kinds of venues and, uh, and so on. And the last, two, last show that we did um, before they closed everything down, uh, was at the Nevada Theater in Nevada City, which is pro which is the oldest theater. You've probably been there. West of the Mississippi. W yeah, and Mark yep, Twain performed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've been compared to Mark Twain. I said, well, we're two Twains going down a similar track. <laughs> <laughs> so you you did comedy before the Swami, or was it you? So I've you, been doing comedy since I was a little kid. Of course. Yeah, yeah obviously that it seems I, very I natural. I say his entire... Family has this sense of humor and this wit and wisdom, and so I say he got it in utero. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Did you have other performers in your family? Never. No, my dad was a funny guy, but not a professional. And and I've and interesting. Even though it was the most natural thing in the world for me, I was that kid, you know, mm -hmm. you know, that would disrupt the class. Were you a middle child? I was the oldest. Oh, interesting. Was the, the older of two. 
And when we finally got a dog, Buster, everybody started calling Buster the son that turned out right. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, um, so, you know, you know that you're that kid. This really did happen. The first time you're in the lunchroom and you make another kid laugh so hard that milk comes out of their nose, right? Mm -hmm. And that was a sign. But I never imagined I would do comedy as a career. I was Mm. a teacher, started an alternative high school in Washington, D.C., wrote a book about that. And so I was on track, like I said, the academic track. And then all of a sudden, I'm laid off from my job doing this tree work Mm. job. And then in writing that funny paper, I started to realize, well, yeah, I'm really good at it. And humor has this power. And so um, I decided, I I took a seminar, and uh, and in in the course of the seminar, I decided I wanted to do comedy as a full-time career. And uh, my friend Alan, who was in Ann Arbor then and now is in San Francisco, he said, uh, you should perform as a Swami, because I've been writing the Swami column. And I went, no, I'm not really a performer, I'm more of a writer. Uh Uh-huh. But as the circumstances happened, as things unfolded, as the universe began to let me know what its preference was, all of a sudden, I start performing, I meet Trudy, we get out on the road with a traveling Swami and Trudy show. You know, it, it, it's like, it was hard to explain what we did. It's like, you, you do what? Yeah, right. You do what? You're a Swami? <laughs> she danced or she you're, you're, you're comedy? What? <laughs> And, you know, the Chinese ribbon dance that she did, that was, we called that the audience tenderizer. (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, right out, first thing out the door, and she had pigtails and did helicopter hair and these mylar ribbons uh, from Oriental Trading Company and all Mm -hmm. of that. We sold thousands of those ribbons. Oh, I would imagine. Yeah. And everybody, people still have them uh, from, from that. So it was a magical thing, and she and I would never have done, I would never have gone out and done that performance were it not for having a partner. You didn't have someone that like yes. you could yeah. lean on yeah. to t- when you're taking these risks yeah. that you don't know. Exactly. Yeah. And and fun and talking about the show after the show and you know, yeah. we, you know the post-mortem, what worked, what didn't work. It's we so helpful. I mean as a we're both solo yeah. performers yeah. and so you know when you go into a bad show and you're like it's just you and the steering wheel (laughs) or if you have a good show and you're just like I can't remember why what I said that made that particular routine better that the wording of that joke when you have somebody else it's like yeah you were you were an asshole today yeah Yeah. like you just didn't come across well on stage or you were fantastic you said this one thing that really tied that routine together we had something happen at a conference years ago and um, I did my performance and Trudy said what was what's off? And nobody in the audience noticed it, but it was like a timing thing. And we realized that before the show, there was a Saturday evening banquet. I had wine. Uh, I never thought of it. Yeah. But all of those things change your um, they change your perception. So the only thing I'll have before a show is maybe coffee, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, not even that anymore. Yeah, because I have, and I realized, wow, I can't do that. Um, I, it was nobody... the rarest time. It's, a, it's the only time you ever did that. And he got really relaxed. He pulled up a chair and sat on a chair on stage. Hey, you which, stand which, up? What kind of wine were you up? drinking? I know. <laughs> and he laughed at his own jokes and delighted. And I'm going, 
it's okay, but there was just, it was off. Yeah. You know, it's just off. And that was it. We split Well, you pinpointed it. Yeah, exactly. So we've really, you know, that's been very, very helpful. And also companionship, being on the road. Yeah. You know, it would be a horrible thing. I'm so, and, and, and again, not to disparage comedians, because I love comedians, but I'm so grateful that I've never done the comedy club mm. circuit. And the only, because it just demands something different than what I want to supply. Yeah. Because I do, I work clean and I, I, I work kind. And I remember the first time when we first started out, I got booked at this club in Chicago that we'll call the Slime Light. Was the Slime Light? Mob Run Club. And the Mob next run. day, I had to collect money from the mob. That was so much fun. Yeah, ask me how I did that. But <laughs> How'd was, you do that? Um, just, just by walking in there and asking to be paid, because they, you know, he figured, oh, he's leaving town. We, they said they'd send a courier. I said, nah, I think I'll drive down there. Ah. Uh. So they I went sent down a there. check that was and, unsigned and then to the he, house. No, no, so he signed checks. So he gives me a check, and I walk into his bank knowing I'm going to cash the check. I'm at the bank 20 minutes, and finally the bank guy comes out, and he says, I'm sorry, I can't cash this check. I, I can't tell you why. <laughs> what? Okay, so I take the check and go back to the club, and it was a classic scene. He's sitting around playing cards with his cronies. I walk in, and everything stops. And he looks at me, and I said, this check is not cashable. He says, how come? I said, you tell me it's your check. Yeah. <laughs> and he looked at me with the utmost disgust. He stands up. And you know how you, you bang the cash register door to open it yeah. up? He banged the door. He peels out however many hundred-dollar bills he was supposed to pay me, slapped it down there, and I was a good boy. I didn't hold the bills up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was a good boy. You didn't grab that pen. You rubbed on it. <laughs> walked out of there. But anyway, so I'm at this club the night before. It was, and, and, you know, it's not my venue. And these three drunken guys are heckling. And finally, I stop the show and I say, you know, I think you're baiting me. And when you bait a great spiritual master, you know what that makes you? <laughs> That's right, a masturbator. Yeah. And everybody laughed, and the three guys slunk out of there. And I went, you know, uh, I don't want to do that. Yeah, I'm you from want New to York. I know how to do yeah. that. I grew up doing. I that. lived my life <laughs> doing that already. Doing that. <laughs> That's why I, I left there. <laughs> exactly. I insulted my friends like they wanted me to. Otherwise, they would get insulted. And so uh, I wanted to choose a place where the audience didn't have to feel so defensive. Because if you're at a comedy club, if you happen to be the unlucky one sitting in the front row, you're, you're meat. You're subject to being played with. And, and, you know, while I've taken questions from the audience, the joke is more generally on me. Mm. I don't insult them, and I don't look to hurt people in the yeah. audience. So I've been able to, over the last 35 years, find the venues um, where... People are more likely to be open-hearted and not looking and not being so defended that they, you know, made uh, where, where defenseless humor makes them feel uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, back in the day, I used to say that I was much more dangerous than Andrew Dice Clay because people were so unaccustomed to 
kind humor that yeah. they didn't know what to do with it's it. It's interesting. And do, have you seen a shift in that culturally? Oh, yeah. That oh, comedy yeah. is now used more often to uplift as opposed to... Not in comedy clubs, no. Comedy clubs, right now, my, my older comedian friends like Will Durst, who unfortunately has not been able to perform for the last year and a half, and Richard Stockton and some of these other people, they were complaining that they couldn't get booked in comedy clubs because comedy clubs is mostly about bringing young people in to drink. Mm -hmm. So if you're a cute girl or a cute guy, and uh, then you know, and your picture is up there on the thing, you don't have to be funny. And many of them are not. They just simply are auditioning to be in a sitcom yeah. sometime. Mm -hmm. uh, and so they don't have to generate funny material. Uh, they don't even have to be funny. And, you know, with enough nuance and pretending that you're funny, people will laugh. So I don't do those. Uh, I don't do those those venues. I'm not interested. Yeah. However, I found that back in the day, I do a lot of wordplay, that the, uh, the older people would groan at puns. Because they were grown-ups, right? Mm -hmm. A grown-up a pun for your pun. A grown-up a grown for your pun. Um, and I found that over the last 15 or 20 years, the young people like wordplay. They they haven't learned that you're supposed to groan at it. They kind of appreciate yeah. it. They kind of like that mm -hmm. you're taking words and you're twisting them around and using them. So I find that... Um, for the last 10 years, I would say, my audiences have been much, much, much younger, generally uh. younger. Um, lots of teenagers to 30. I have no idea why or where they've come from. <laughs> or how but, they found you. <laughs> or how they found me. But nonetheless, that seems to be the case. And we still have, you know, the, the contemporaries and, yeah. and the people who've been seeing me for 35 years. But a place like, for example, the Moisture Festival or the Oregon Country Fair, where it's really a mixed age group. And with the Oregon Country Fair, what I found something extraordinary about that venue is that it's one of the few places, because it's a community, and because Eugene, Oregon is an extraordinary community like that, because it's a community, there really is a lot of mutual connection and respect between the, uh, the generations. And one generation learns from another, there's a lot of conversations back and forth and respect. And when you go to the rest of the country and you see how age-isolated everybody is, it's, it's tragic and unfortunate that these groups are not talking to one yeah. another. And uh, so, so I, I, like, I like that sort of thing and, and being with mixed-age groups. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love that you guys on, on your website, is, your mission is to wake up laughing and to, you promote awakening and laughter. And I, I like that you're, you're trying to just infuse laughter into people's lives to lighten their life up. You know, the wake up part, I mean, first of all, you can, always, you can see that why do so many speakers use humor to begin or even in the middle, it's yeah. to keep the audience awake. Mm -hmm. if, an audi if an audience expects that that speaker is going to be funny, then they're going to be, in a way, anticipating that disruptive moment, totally. right? And so it really keeps people awake in that way. And it also awakens people to get out of the dueling dualities. You know, you ever wonder why jokes happen in threes, right? Minister, priest, and a rabbi. Yep. They're discussing legacy. How do they want to be remembered? What do they want the eulogist to be saying at their funeral? And the minister says, well, I want him to be saying 
he was a family man and a pillar of his community. And the priest said, I want him to, them to be saying he was a holy man and a leader of his flock. And the rabbi says, I want them to be saying, look, I think he's breathing. <laughs> <laughs> so the third way is designed to be disruptive. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Designed to be disruptive. But you've got to set the to pattern break, to yeah. break it. It's to, like a, yeah. to break the trance. Oh, yeah. yeah. Exactly. And right now, we are in a trance. We're in a political trance where each side is being fed a line of baloney, you know, with, with, of course, some truth. There, you know, there's truth in everything. But essentially, the polarization is the baloney part and being made to misrepresent and fear the other. And so the more fear that's infused into a system, the less creative we are Absolutely. and the less likely we are to actually uh, have a constructive thought. Yeah. Fear narrows our, our focus of attention. And so when things are disrupted during humor, uh, through humor. Trudy, why don't you tell them about what happened at the airport after 9-11 in Denver? We, this, oh, yeah. Trudy, she's not a comedian, but this is what she did. This okay. is, uh, we're standing in line at the airport. This is right after 9-11. And there are guys against the wall with submachine guns all aligning the wall. It was a little tense. Yeah. And, um, and so we're, we're in line, and next to me... Now, it was a, a guy with a, a little dog carrier and a dog, and a, he unzips it because it was a long line, you know. So, dog pokes his head out, and, <laughs> you know, and and, uh, and I looked over at the dog and I said, "Did you pack your own things today? <laughs> Did anyone give you anything?" You know, and the, and saying it loud enough so the people around could hear, and we all cracked yeah. up, and it just completely yeah. melted the tension. In the room. Uh, using humor to defuse. Yeah. Defuse, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's huge. And that's, I mean, that's, I like to say I do that at home all the time. My wife says I'm just uh, pushing buttons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it is telling that your wife is at tense at, <laughs> at all times. Can, yeah. Can a woman be a straight man? I don't know. I don't know. But, but, but that, you know, that, that's right. Well, fortunately, we do a lot of play and we've used humor you know, every couple goes through this, right? It's always, you're always fighting about the same thing. Really, it's the same thing. It may look different, but it's about the same thing. And it's always about the ego. It's always about somebody wants to be right. Usually both people want to be right. And so what happens is one of us, if we ever get into one of these kerfuffles, one of us will say, let's get off the battlefield. And the other will say, but... But I'm not done being right yet. <laughs> and that just kind of busts the whole thing. Absolutely. Yeah, no. That's Let me fantastic. text that to my wife right now. <laughs> can, can he use that? Can he use that? Yeah. She's going to love it. <laughs> yeah, but see, but once that happens, I'm going to have to be the one that says, I'm not right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. If a, if a man makes a mistake in the forest and there's nobody to see him, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So it's you've written uh, four, four books, is that right? I've written a lot of books. I, I've, I've written, um, let's see. Before I ever started doing the Swami, I wrote two real books. Uh, I wrote, uh, after doing this um, alternative high school for two years in D.C. Oh, I had a quick question yeah. about that. Yeah. What was the alternative high school format? Because I went to alternative high school, and it's what, what it is now is different from what I went to. Yeah. Ah, well, this was really different. This was a pioneering project. My friend Joel Denker was teaching in Montgomery Blair High School in, uh, in the suburbs of D.C., 
and his students, because he's a young teacher, his students prevailed upon him to bring in speakers, and they had the student organizing committee. And so uh, they suggested, let's start our own school. Mm. So uh, Joel was my roommate. I was teaching in the inner city. And when I heard about that, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about how I am teaching at a public high school. And frankly, I didn't like it when they did that to me. So uh, we, because we didn't know that we couldn't do it, <laughs> we, we set out and we put leaflets out at DuPont Circle and we gathered a whole bunch of kids. One of them's father was Secretary of Interior uh, under uh, Stuart Udall, and his daughter went to our school, and he would get calls from Lyndon Johnson on the White House hotline saying, take your girl out of that goddamn school. <laughs> but he never would because he, he appreciated what we were doing, and which we, we often didn't know what we were doing, but basically these were kids who had outgrown high school. And there was a lot of drug use, except at our school, there was a lot less drug use. Not because we, well, first of all, we, we were being watched by the FBI. So mm-hmm. everybody knew you, you don't use drugs here. Keep your stash in Rockford yeah, yeah, Park. Yeah. If you're going to do yeah. drugs, do it, do go it to the other high school, the do other, them there, <laughs> then come back. <laughs> go to your public yeah. high school, do it there. Yeah. You know, they, they'll know what to do with it. You know? They can't be put in jail. Um, but, but because what we were offering was so much more interesting then they, you know, there was a lot more uh, going on that they didn't have to, you know, medicate themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And every one of, the, any, every one of our students uh, who wanted to get into college got into the school of their choice because of the independent nature of their education. Now, it wouldn't work with every kid. These happened to be, for the most part, we had some kids who were, um, you know, who were, uh, you know, kind of problematic and, you know, been deadbeats in school, but not very many. And most of these kids, uh, I, I'm i still friends with many of them. Wow. Mm-hmm. I just talked with one just the other day. Yeah, I'm still connected with them. Yeah. Um, and just always interesting to see how people turn out. One of them was um, Norman Solomon, who ran for Congress here in California oh, wow. years ago. He's written many books. Uh, he's a journalist. Uh, and he was one of the, the ringleaders who got this whole thing That's started. That's fantastic. You know? Yeah. So we did that, and I wrote a book about no particular place to go, making a free high school. And then I worked as a freelance writer um, in, in Ann Arbor. And um, I wrote books for other people. I wrote a book on the philosophy of the practice of dentistry that was an award-winning book. Uh, as a ghostwriter. As a ghostwriter. And so the the name of the person who authored it right. is different than yours. Right. I was I was I was credited as, as a scribe. Huh. Wordsmith. So wordsmith. Yeah. Wordsmith. And so oh about ten years later we're performing at this big um con- uh, conference at the Broadmoor in uh Colorado Springs. Donovan was pre- performed there. So it was like a big a big deal. And the first night, the guy who owns the company that sponsored this thing, he gets up on stage and starts reading from this book. I'm going... <laughs> You're like huh. a trumbo. You know, and, and, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then he says, and this is from a book called The Philosophy of the Practice of Dentistry. My sister is a dentist, and she, write, she said, everybody should read this book. Oh, my God. You know, and he didn't know that I had written it. So I thought that was pretty funny. Then I wrote a book. Um, I teamed up with a psychologist, and we wrote a book called Friends and Lovers, How to Meet the People You Want to Meet. And I met Trudy, 
mm-hmm. right after that. So ah, that was very that's very amazing book to write. And you don't know the information when they hire you to be the ghostwriter. You sort well, of that was to, a book that I wrote. He and I were co-authors. Oh, okay, so that got, was okay. really that was you know uh, we we wrote that one together, and I was the one that traveled around the country and did radio and TV. That's for awesome. It. Do you yeah. know what the a philosophy of the practice of, of dentistry is going for on Amazon right now? Uh, seven hundred and forty dollars. One hundred and seventy-four seventy-seven. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it and I've a, got two um, copies. I can probably sell them both. <laughs> <It is laughs> You're a hard up. In the, dental, in the dental world, in dental colleges, it is a textbook. Ah. That's crazy. You know? Yes. And so I, I, did you know that subject matter but when going well, here's into it? what happened. You know, I, was, I had been hired to write a, job, uh, write a book for this um, motivational speaker. But he lost his motivation when he talked with his with his uh, financial planner and said, "You can't afford to <laughs> yeah. do this." So I have a I've blocked out fifteen weeks, and all of a sudden I'm at zero income. Yeah, right. And so I call my friend uh, Don McMillan, who I wrote the Friends and Lovers book with, who is my business consultant. He gets says, "Get on the phone." That was before emails. So I got on the phone. The thirty fifth call was to a friend of mine. He says, you know, my friend Bill Davis over at the uh, Medical College of Ohio is writing a book. Maybe he can use your help. So I used to do, uh, I do like an intake interview for freelance writing jobs to get congruency. Mm-hmm. And often people would say, oh, well, I'm, I know I'm going to be writing a bestseller and all of this, and I'd look at what they had, and I didn't want to be the one to take the blame when this turned out to not work. So I turned the job down. So I said to Dr. Davis, I said, what's your, what's your intention with this book? He says, well, I've been working with this institute in Florida, and I want to make a bridge between academic dentistry and what's being taught at this institute, which is really leading edge. I went, I love that idea. And so that's what we did. So Basically, uh, he downloaded, I worked with things he had already written, I worked with transcripts of the dentist he was interviewing, and it took about a year, year and a half, we just, you know, just learned about, learned what I needed to learn. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm certainly not a practitioner of dentistry. But, <laughs> but you know the, the philosophy of it. we got to buy one on Amazon and have them sign it. <laughs> <laughs> How much is it? 100 and what? 175 bucks. Oh, that's cheap. <laughs> My Friends and Lovers book is going for more than that. So what's, no your, what's the other books? I, we, I have Driving Your Own Karma, When You See a Sacred Cow, Mick, Milk It for All It's Worth, Duck Soup for the Soul, yeah. Swami for President, Those A Seven-Step Plan to Heal the Body, Politic, and cure electile, electile dysfunction. Yes, electile dysfunction. <laughs> we all have that. Uh, yeah. so, uh, you you just got the... I, I just read that for the first time. I just actually didn't read that part. Those are the four Swami books that are out. Okay? And, and then and, the latest and then is... Uh, well, and then I wrote another serious book um, with yeah, Bruce Lipton, the cellular biologist, called um, Spontaneous Evolution, Our Positive Future, and a Way to Get There from Here. That book's been translated into 26 languages. Wow. That's been an international bestseller. That's crazy. Over the last yep. 12 years. We'd, you got to write our podcast book. Uh-huh. <laughs> we'll hire you. <laughs> the story of two... Don't be a guest. Yeah. <laughs> the story of two men renting out a hotel room to do Tra- a podcast. Travel in the country. <laughs> well, you see, that's the, the thing is that when you're... There's something about a road trip, right? There's something about a road trip because novelty is happening all the time. 
Yeah. Yes. You try to impose a routine on it, and you do, but it doesn't work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you're lucky. Yeah. So you just keep having adventures. Going through your website, it's sort of like your philosophy sort of using laughter as a healing mechanism. Like I sort of associate that with like Patch Adams. Is mm-hmm. that do you is that someone you guys know or mm-hmm. oh, yeah. have worked with mm-hmm. or well, share Patch, similar philosophies? We did a show one when we first started out. There's this little metaphysical church in Arlington, Virginia. And um I doing my routine and the audience, it's like playing Mount Rushmore. Their faces were like this, stone, stone faces. But which president? <laughs> Any the, of them. The ones, that, the ones that had stone faces. I feel, like Ted, I feel like Teddy Roosevelt's like... And there's two guys over there laughing like crazy, and everybody else is just... And their laughter is echoing. The only two voices of laughter echoing through this entire <laughs> building. Right. It was when the locusts were here in 1987, okay? Wait. So it's a year yeah. of the locusts. Year of the locusts. And, uh, and so I go up to the people laughing, and one of them is Patch Adams. <laughs> so I've known Patch you know, for 30-something yeah. years. Uh, and then, oh, and we, then were, we went the next day to um, pick up our check from the minister. And I, I look at it, and I'm going, well, this is for more than we agreed upon. And he says, oh, they just loved it. <laughs> and I'm going. Were they at the same show? Yeah, they didn't tell their face. They yeah. didn't, yeah, tell, they their didn't face. tell their face. What do they look like when they don't like the show? <laughs> yes. Are they laughing? Because I want them to not like it. You know, that's like, know. It's like the story of the Will Rogers who, who went up to Maine. And people there are very, very reserved. And he does a show. And again, it's like stone-faced. Everybody's stone-faced. Mm-hmm. After the show, guy comes up to him and says, that was the funniest thing I ever heard. It's all I could do to keep from laughing. <laughs> I bet he loved that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, at least I got through to him. Yeah. So, so anyway, so I, we've known Patch, and we've seen him at the Oregon Country Fair many, many, many times. And I owe him a phone call because uh, through a mutual friend, I found out that he had this um, one of those horrific hospital infections that oh, no. caused him to lose his leg below the knee. Oh, no. no. So, uh, and he, but again, being who he is, yeah. he was able to to find the humor in yeah. that and, and cheer everybody else up. That's so amazing. So he's a gem. Yeah. He's a, he's a one-of-a-kind yeah. treasure. Well, it's like a special kind of person that can find the humor in everything. And that's something, that's a quality I'm trying to teach my daughter. She's 17 now. Yeah. But like... Like your biggest failures are the best stories. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> when they're happening, not that much. But later, in retrospect, I mean, like as I've gotten older and she's seen me, I mean, we definitely do this in our lives. It's like our failures. In the moment, I'm like, this is going to be an amazing story. <laughs> I can't wait to tell someone. This seven-year jail sentence is going to be an amazing story. It's going to be great. You know, you're absolutely right about that. Because, you know, again, there are people who can turn it around just like that. And sometimes it, when it's on you, when it's on you, and it's an embarrassing moment, uh, if you're able to do that. We had um, her sister lives on a lake in Michigan, and we were there few years ago and we're uh it's summertime it's bonfire after dark and we're gathered around the bonfire and uh you know it's a lake community working class people you know kind of rough and ready which we like and um so i'm i see that there's an errant ember that flies off of the bonfire so i go to kick it back on what i didn't realize is i'm standing right by the lake 
A drop-off. A drop-off. Oh, nice. right into the lake up to my waist. <laughs> and as everybody else is set to laugh, Rita, her sister, just shouts out. She says, are you saved? You have been baptized. And she goes in this whole routine. I go, I am saved. And we did this whole thing. And I had took my shoe and dripped the water out of my shoe. So before anybody could laugh at me, I embraced it. Yeah, yeah. Did you know that the word humor, humility, humiliation, and humus... Uh, like soil are all from the same root so one and human (laughs) so when you are able to laugh at yourself you actually show your humanity and you avoid the humiliation yeah by through the self-facing laughter um you know and again we can't always do that but when we can it can really serve to disarm everybody yeah yeah that's amazing there are times when uh You'll do something that is just really wonderful, and you'll say, am I not? Am I not brilliant? And I'll say, you are not brilliant. <laughs> we yes. have all these correct. <laughs> you just have like built-in shtick all day. We have. We have, you know, we have the middle of it. And some, we have another thing, was, which was, I was a bad boy or I was a good boy. It's if okay. I come home and I say, yeah. I was a good boy, Trudy. Trudy will say, Oh, what didn't you say? <laughs> nice. Or do. Yet the comedic mind, the comedic mind works a certain way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So a few, uh, about a month ago, Trudy was out driving, in, and she was in the neighborhood. She went to turn around somebody's driveway, and instead of putting the car into reverse like she thought, she put it into drive, and she smashed this guy's uh, Oh, no. The it was side like a structure. His, freestanding structure wooden structure and, and I was only doing two or three miles yeah. an hour because it you know I'm looking behind me to back up and it's moving forward yeah mm-hmm. and the guy is you know so I got a call from Trudy and the guy wanted her to call her husband because Trudy was so calm the guy thought there was something wrong with her <laughs> so now she's like that and you did smash into his wood thing yeah and that and, <laughs> that, and, that, thing. Yeah, that's and this little thing and so I get there, and I'm pretty stressed out because I was in the middle of something. I didn't know. I heard that EMS was called. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A friend drives me down there. I see everything's okay. Uh, there's a cop there, really wonderful cop, and he's he is kind of calming everybody down and all that. And I'm getting ready, to, and I meet the guy, and I'm getting ready to drive Trudy home. And I get this idea. And I should have stayed in the car with this idea. But mm-hmm. I have like comedic Tourette's. I, can't help I got it. It's going to kill. It got to kill. So I come you out wait till you see that cop's oh, face. Yeah. Here's what. Yeah. This is going to come this out. There's a guy who owns this thing. Is poor the poor guy who's afflicted by having something wreck his uh, wall there. And there's the cop, and there's Trudy. And I I come up there and I say, you know, I never imagined that my wife would be a home wrecker. <laughs> <laughs> the guy says. Well, I appreciate your sense of humor, but <laughs> that was a very big but. That but was so big it took up a lot of space. Unless he recognized it, though. And, and I, I appreciate your attention. And I drive home and I go, God, that was a stupid thing. You're like, Why, that audience I, was so bad. That, that, <laughs> Why'd you have to crash into that guy's wall? Any other wall. Never do you know, it again. And, and, yeah. So I'm, I'm feeling like really bad. So then the cop calls to make sure Trudy's okay and to give her the, the, the report. And I said, look, hey, look, 
I'm so sorry that I made that really, really stupid joke. And the cop said, oh, I thought it was hilarious. And the cop tells me that he's a clown in his spirit. <laughs> he says the other guy didn't like it that much, but I thought it was hilarious. That's a quality I look for in my cops, too. It's like an amateur clown. And part-time clown. <laughs> you know, you have to be on the scene. He didn't laugh out loud, but you know, but he thought it was really Yeah, he might not be able to. But he couldn't. Well, yeah. you know, police and EMS and all of those people, they use graveyard humor. Oh, yeah. Time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So they're used to that. You know, so I, I made his day, but, you know, and I felt very bad that uh, I added ins- literally insult to injury. Not that he was injured, <laughs> but his face was injured. No. Then I insulted him by telling a joke at his expense. I don't think you were it's, it's insult. I mean, you're sort of making a play at your wife. and Yeah, you know, I know. It's yeah, lightening the mood. I thought, yeah, I, mean, I, I thought it was going to lighten up the scene. Yeah. Ah, it was my intention, but. He yeah. was he was stuck in some kind of a mode. Yeah, literally, he thought there was something wrong with me. Yeah, you know because I was hey, I did this. I'm the one that hit this. I'm the one that did this, and I fortunately nobody was hurt, and I only did two or three miles an hour, and I got out of the car and got ready to do all the things you do, the insurance, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the, the, whatever, and he just thought that was. Because she was so calm, so the guy thought, you know, maybe she's she's old. Maybe she had a stroke. I see. That's I would have played the I fainted card. <laughs> <laughs> I would have yeah, just I acted like he was my grandson. <laughs> <laughs> How come you don't visit anymore? You never visit. <laughs> you never call. <laughs> no. If you thought you were, you would say she's she's nobody's grandmother. No, but, uh, but anyway, so they are. Well, they live not far away. So, so the point is that I violated my standard because it didn't have the impact. Mm. Uh, it didn't have the impact. And, you know, again... Audience is cold. You need a warm-up act to come in. Yeah. <laughs> Trudy, did you, did you bring your ribbon with you? Could, could you, take out the ribbon could you drive into his actual home? <laughs> no, it's actually, there's a structure outside. A which senseless structure. We've gone by it and gone, what is that? It's like, it's like maybe uh, eight feet, ten feet tall... With like a treehouse opening, no way to get up into it. Oh. And it's covering the end of the sidewalk. What is its yeah. purpose? What is strange? Yeah. But, no, well, but who are we? Who are we to demand somebody's, you know, sculpture or something? But anyway. Yeah. Or but, drive into so it. Every now and then <laughs> I do humor that's not appropriate. But generally, because I can't control myself... I will wait until afterward and then tell Trudy, boy, here's what I didn't say. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah, you should just r- keep a running list. Of what I didn't <laughs> There's your next publication right <laughs> you, there. You. The things I wanted to say, but I didn't I have say. a whole routine of jokes I can't tell anymore. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> There's a lot of jokes I can't tell anymore, you know? And don't get me started. I mean, sometimes it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it makes sense. You can't, you know, up until 9-11, up until 9-11, one of the jokes that I told, see if I can remember it because it's been so long, uh, it was a woman who was afraid to fly mm-hmm. because she was afraid that somebody might have a bomb on the plane. So she had a nephew who was an actuary who did all, had all the statistics. Mm-hmm. She says, tell me, what are the odds of somebody having a bomb on the plane? Huh. Very remote, about one in 500,000. She says... What are the odds of two people having a bomb? He goes, totally, uh, like 
50 billion to one. So from that time on, every time she flew, she took a bomb with her. <laughs> you can't tell that one anymore. You know, that's yeah, you know, things shift. And, you know, I perform at a lot of colleges. And, you know, a lot of the humor that I was using 15 right. years ago yeah. is completely out the window. And, it's so uh, sick. It's that shifted. is sick and sad. Yes. I, you know, I don't mind it too much. It forces me to reevaluate yeah. and to sort of write new stuff. It yeah. sort of forces me to be creative. Yeah. And do you ever, have you ever ran into people like yeah. who have been upset Only about the once. Swami or? Yeah. This is really interesting. I've been doing this for many years. Just and um, about 10 years ago, I was doing a show for a political activist, a toxically politically correct mm. crowd. One of the politically correct. Well, well, and, and it was kind of like the whole idea of um, uh, call it the you know cultural um, appropriation. Appropriation. Mm -hmm. Now, I've done my shows for real swamis. Mm -hmm. uh, I was featured in India's version of People magazine. You know, back in yeah. the early two thousands. They don't take offense because they recognize that I'm playfully purveying wisdom i'm not making fun of their tradition yeah. i'm simply using that character yeah but when people uh, are suffering from hemorrhoids <laughs> which is an enlargement of the onus where the only <laughs> thing they're able to pass is heavy judgments <laughs> when people have hemorrhoids they don't recognize the difference between something that is good-hearted and not and often it's often yeah. um these guilty white people who um appropriate inappropriately the mantle of I'm going to save these other people from insult. And so there was a woman who tried to really turn the crowd against me. First because I was doing a Swami character, cultural expropriation, appropriation. And then because I ended with a song for peace in the Middle East, channeling uh, George Gershwin about the Palestinians and the Israelis. Mm -hmm. You say salam, and I say shalom. You throw a bomb, I blow up your home. Salam, shalom, we blow up our home. Let's call the old thing off. Oh, well, she thought that the Palestinians are a thousand percent correct, and the Israelis are minus a thousand percent. And so she tried to turn the audience against me. And at the end of the show, she made, it, she made the group leader make a circle and exclude me and make her feel better and everybody who laughed at the show had to recant what they had to recant what? their laughter they had to take it back how do you take back the laughter <laughs> <laughs> and then people would secretly come up to me after the show and say that was very funny <laughs> so i i thought that was that was a marker and uh, it was a low point in my career because of people's inability to recognize when something is being done in an open-hearted way and when something is designed to be hurtful. Yeah. Plenty of humor is designed to be hurtful. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Not. Well, it's, I always find that it's, you know, a lot of it's your intention. Yeah. And right. I feel like if, as a performer, you should be, the audience should no, be able to recognize your intention and what you're doing. Your intention. Yes, I have to go to the bathroom. That's yes. your intention. <laughs> I have that. <laughs> no, but, no, but that's exactly true. But when people are emotionally damaged and then they have that emotional damage reinforced by a toxic system that tells them that because they're emotionally damaged, then they can run everybody else's life and determine yeah. 
how things go rather than simply help them rebalance mm-hmm. and put things in perspective. You know, then, then the victimhood piece becomes a badge and it's hard to get rid of that badge because it's your self-identity. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you were given a gift. I think that's a bit right there, the taking back the humor. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's going to be something that you could even use in the future. I think that's a very, very good, Matt. I, I think that, but at the time, it was really devastating. Yeah, of course, yeah. yeah. It was really devastating. You know, and, and I don't think of myself as a super sensitive person. But to have your intention so misunderstood yeah. is hurtful. Yeah. I get that. Yep. I get complaints all the time about my show. So, <laughs> <laughs> And you did say you performed for uh, other Swamis. Swami Satchidananda. Yeah, I don't know who that is. Swami Satchidananda was the Swami at Woodstock. Oh, okay. Uh, and um, he, he had a place near Charlottesville, Virginia called Yogaville. It was a retreat center. And um, we... How did we get there? We had friends who performed for him. Uh, Carol King, the singer, yeah. performed at the opening of Yogaville. And uh, for some reason, I was invited there to perform comedy. For some reason. For some reason. <laughs> so the first night, Sajidananda had a great sense of humor. He's kind of like the Dalai Lama or Maharishi, just giggling. So the first night, he's doing his darshan. You know, he's doing his talk. And I'm in the audience, and he's saying, if you want to achieve enlightenment, you must desire nothing. At that point, and I don't have it with me because it doesn't work on the radio, I have a box of nothing. Ah. And we made the box of nothing. Whatever your problem is, nothing will solve it instantly. And so on the night of the show, and I still have a photo, I can send you the photo, (laughs) of... Uh, me and Trudy and Swami Satchitananda and me presenting him with a box <laughs> to help him become enlightened. So about, I don't know, that was in 88 or so. A few years later, several years later, he had his 80th birthday party and he has all these celebrities, um, you know, Jeff Goldblum and all of these people. He invites me and Trudy so that I can come perform my nothing routine at his, <laughs> at his big birthday party. So, so obviously, you know, when people you know, have that expanded view, they don't take it poisonally. Yes. You know? uh, but, but again, I, I think that what would be so much more helpful on campuses would be to actually engage with people and to let people speak and to hear them and then rehumanize one another and then sort the ideas out and be able to disagree. Go, yeah, I don't. I think you're wrong about that. Yeah, yeah. But but again, I get in trouble. You know, somebody asked me at one of the shows recently, Swami, what's your take on gender fluidity? Mm. I go, well, it's very simple. If the fluid comes out the front, that's one gender. Comes out the bottom, it's another. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great joke. <laughs> yeah, but, but again, <laughs> but but again, and, and and of course, you know, when people. I understand when people have been hurt hurt by humor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, uh, you know, and I'm from the neighborhood where people used humor yes. as a as a weapon and a shield. So I completely understand uh, how people have been teased. How and oh, I'm just kidding, but yeah, no, yeah, it's, yeah. it's hurtful. Yeah. Yeah. It's designed to be hurtful, and so because they've been so hurt, they're you know they're they're reactive to. Um, and overly sensitized. Yeah, that's good. That was really good. <laughs> we need some desensitivity training. Yes. 
Well, uh, we want to thank you guys for mm-hmm. coming in and taking the time to do this mm-hmm. interview. This has been fantastic. This has been awesome. Yeah. Uh, if people want to find out about the two of you, wakeuplaughing.com. Go to wakeuplaughing.com. Info at wakeuplaughing.com. I always respond to my emails. I have something called a daily laugh statistic yeah. to create regular hilarity. And prevent uh, tr- your humoroids and truth decay. Um, so they if can people sign up go to your site they go to and, my and they site. sign on, they I, get a daily laugh yeah, tip every yeah. day. Oh. Brand, and there's joke. a ton of stuff on there. Yeah, yeah. a lot of stuff Free. on there. Yeah. And there's some YouTube videos and so on. Also, on a more serious side, oh, I'm very totally serious. Um, I just finished three and a half years doing a podcast called Wiki Politiki. And now that's going to be segued into a video podcast called Front and Center writing our new story together and i'm doing it uh with a with a guy from the conservative tribe who's uh you know we're, we're essentially coming from different places but we're going to the same that's place. awesome ah, that's and where great. can people see that at that's going to be at? um right now we're still putting up our site it's going to be on locals uh the, the website is called frontandcenter.us. Okay. And will you, all, will you also post that on wakeuplaughing.com? Oh, absolutely. Okay. I'll right. let people know about that. Yeah. And uh, that'll be, uh, there's always humor with whatever I do, but we want to bring humor to the seriousness right now. Yeah. And one of the things that I want to say, my big thing is uh, agricultural industrial hemp, mm-hmm. not cannabis, cannabis, yeah, yeah. marijuana, not cannabis hemp seed oil but agricultural industrial hemp uh, which makes about 25,000 products and everything we have now was made with hemp before all the plastics all of that but particularly hempcrete building building homes and there are homes in England now that are 700 years old that are hempcrete homes Mm -hmm. and so to get that going in, in this country will completely change in the uh the land, the ecology, yeah. and repair it and all the glyphosates and such, and also the economy and bring us back to nature. Yeah. And so if anybody's interested, I don't have a, well, I think we have hemp is for everyone, but um, they can contact me through Steve because Absolutely. I'm just setting that up, especially if people are interested in hempcrete building. Sweet. Very cool. Wakeuplaughing.com and yeah. for That's anything and Anything every- and everything. Yeah. That's the, and you the can get absurdified by you. You can get absurdified <laughs> by the swami. That's yes. Right. Yeah. I will be doing that, just so you know. So we'll expect that an, soon. We'll send you an absurdification. Okay. Well, thank, thank you, you so Trudy much. and Steve. We really appreciate it. You yeah, guys are fantastic. Really good to meet you. Bro. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. We want to thank you for listening to the Moisture Festival podcast. If you haven't bought tickets yet for the festival, you can do that at moisturefestival.org. You can also find out information about volunteering or supporting it financially as well. Just click on the contribute button. You can also find Moisture Festival. They are on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube if you want to check out more details on any of those social network sites. If you want to find out more information on Louie and I, we do a podcast together that is completely different than this podcast and it is called the odd and off beat podcast and you can find that on any platform that you get your podcasts 
at. If you would like to find out information on Louis and I's shows, you can do so by visiting Louis's site, which is Fox with two X's dot com. And Matt Baker's site, ComedyStuntShow.com, spelt the way you would expect it to be spelled. Yes. And we want to thank all the volunteers, performers, sponsors, donors, board members, producers of the Moisture Festival for helping make this thing happen. Absolutely. A lot of moving parts, and they do a wonderful job at creating a very unique experience that you cannot get anywhere else. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Moisture Festival Podcast. And stay moist.